Hey everyone, welcome back. I want to tell you about something that I'm starting. Um, it's a locals community at talkingtotheinternet.locals.com. My goal with this community is to bring together a group of people who are interested in talking to the internet, whether they are experienced people who talk to the internet all the time, or whether they're individuals who want to actually start talking to the internet or want to get more experience to talking to the internet. Maybe you're somebody who just wants to run an idea by somebody, or you want to look for a co-host for a certain show. Um, my hope is that uh, talkingtotheinternet.locals.com can be a place where we all come together and have a good community that figures out what it's like to talk to the internet and how best to talk to the internet and just um, can kind of share stories about you know our experiences talking to the internet. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to go check out uh, talkingtotheinternet.locals.com. Uh, the other thing I'm, I want to encourage you to do is um, if you can support the folks who are on the show, support the guests. Uh, Jason uh, publishes a lot of different material at Six Colors and podcasts at the Incomparable Network. Stephen Hackett uh, runs the Relay FM Network, right? So you can become members of both of those entities. James Thompson makes software. Uh, he guests on a lot of different podcasts as well, but he makes software uh, called PCALC and Dice by PCALC. So if you can support him uh, through those ventures. Rosemary Orchard. Uh, not only does multiple different shows, uh, but she also uh, wrote a book about OmniFocus, right? So if you can go support them, uh, I know that as independent content creators, um, especially in you know the times that we're in right now, uh, they would appreciate your support in that way. So uh, thanks again for being back here. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, now we'll get to the show. Thanks so much. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to Talking to the Internet. This week, I have the privilege of having Dan Morin on. Dan uh, writes all over the internet uh, in the technology space. Uh, he also writes uh, actual books, uh, and he talks a lot on the internet in, t in terms of podcasting. So uh, it is with uh, a great privilege, and uh, I'm excited to have a good conversation today with Dan Morin. So Dan, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I like that you say that I write all over the internet because it makes me feel like I'm scrawling just on like on like a graffiti artist, just just all over the internet. Did you ever see Hypothesis? Are you familiar with that like software? No. I don't think so. So, no. so when I was doing my PhD, Hypothesis was a it was a um, tool basically, and it was like a layer that went over top of the internet, and you mm, could go in and you could okay. annotate like web pages, or you could you know read. Uh. PDF documents off the internet and you could annotate them and it would save the annotations and then there was this whole collaborative thing and it still exists I just don't know if it's any good but that's what that made me think of is you that's wild going in yeah. hypothesis and like scribbling all over you know, all the technology <laughs> stuff so. yeah it's very quality uh we won't discuss how quality that is but there <laughs> to go. well uh Dan can you get us started on you know I mean you you've done a lot of things uh, and you do a lot of things um can you get us started on how and why you know, you started talking to the internet. Sure. Yeah. Um, short answer is I've been doing it for a really long time in one form or another. Uh, I mean, I would go frankly all the way back to when I was in high school because, um, one of my, one of my earliest sort of forays on the internet was, um, my, uh, my good friend, best, one of my best friends from high school, a guy named Jason Tossi and I started in the early to mid nineties, a, um, electronic magazine uh, that was based on uh, like basically sh short stories of science fiction and fantasy and horror and that kind of stuff um, and 
it originally we originally distributed it on like bulletin boards. If you want to go back, I'm gonna date myself now. Um, bulletin boards that were sort of like you know local dial-up places where you would post things, and we started out there. And then the web came along. Kind of, it was I think probably started around the same time that we were starting on this. And after a year or two of doing that, we we moved to the web. Um, and so, you know, and, and we published both, both Jason and I were like big, um, you know, aspiring writers. And so that was sort of where we're like, wait, we could write stuff and we could publish it on the internet. Uh, <laughs> crazy, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, and so I think that's kind of where part of my fascination with that started. I mean, I'd been writing stuff for a long time. I mean, basically as long as I've been able to actually, you know, pick up a pen or pencil and <laughs> write stuff on a piece of paper, I'd been writing stories. Uh, and I'd, I'd always had an interest in writing. And so that was sort of the first time we had a real outlet for like, well, let's let's put stuff online. And be, because we were lucky enough to grow up in an age where, you know, we were coming into our teenage years literally at the same time that the web was really starting out and the internet was starting to take off, uh, it seemed like kind of a natural outlet. Um, and so, you know, that ended up being a thing that we did for a few years. Um, and that was sort of like one of my first, uh, you know, entrees into into you know publishing stuff on the internet i'd always had an interest in technology and that was sort of a the other big prong of my life i started reading uh, macworld magazine when i was around that age as well um not long after i got my first mac which was uh in the early 90s um and so i think those two things dovetailed really nicely for me because i had this sort of interest in technology and i had the interest in you know creativity and and writing and so those were sort of my two big passions uh, when I was a teenager and growing up. Um, and I worked mostly like in, in my entire professional life in, in one capacity or the other. I spent a few years after I graduated college working as an IT professional and doing web development. Um, and then I transitioned into writing about technology, which was sort of my first big break into being a professional writer uh, when I was 25. 5 20 25 or 26 um and so it was it was nice way to combine those two things to be able to say you know oh, i i know a lot about technology and i love writing and i can sort of put those together into something and because you know the internet at that point had become much more popular it was sort of a natural outlet for that sort of thing so yeah that's it's a long a long path but it got me there in the end. Well, okay, so help me help me understand something. It, it sounds like you came at this from more the, I'm a creative, right? Like I want to write stories and I want to share stories. The internet is happening right now. Let's see how we can use this, right? Through the bulletin board kind of web mm -hmm. magazine. How did you, I mean, we live in an age where everybody wants to be viral, right? Like everybody wants mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. a, you know, a big hitter, an influencer or whatever word you want to call it, right? How did you track whether or not anybody cared, anybody <laughs> read anything? Like, were you just throwing it out into the ether or was it, you know, did you have a way to, to track that stuff? No, not at all in those early days. I mean, basically, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, you were, it, the two things that would come up is one, if you were sort of, you know, you got links from other places. And in those days, that was before Google, right? Like there were, there were some search engine things, but a lot of what was out there were things like directories, like Yahoo was a directory in the yeah. early days. They sort yeah. of cataloged and cultivated these links. And so we, you know, links that would show up in there were pretty cool. We had a little bit written about us in um, the Boston Globe because we both grew up in suburban Boston. And so there was like a little, you know, paragraph about us in a paper once. 
um, because it was novel, right? Like, oh, these two guys have started this internet magazine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, then submissions. We would get submissions from people looking for a place to publish their writing. And, you know, that was cool. Like, we, we did this for several years, and it never... You know, sometimes it felt like maybe we were like struggling a little bit to find stuff. And I won't speak as to the quality of a lot of the stuff that we published, not only from other authors, but from ourselves. Like, you know, we were we were teenagers. We didn't really have a great idea what we were doing. Um, but yeah, there wasn't the fact that at least people seem to respond to it or submit stuff. And we did seem to every once in a while hear uh, or find links to us in other places. I think that was kind of all you could hope for at that point, right? There was no social media. There was no search engine, really. So there wasn't really a great way to gauge whether or not it was successful. And I think, you know, that comes with its fair share of struggles because you do want to feel like what you're putting out there is getting received, right? You're not just broadcasting into the ether. But at the same time, I feel like because we were invested and passionate about doing it, we and and because we were you know teenagers and we didn't need to do it for a living, we made never made any money off of it. We never charged anything, um, you know. We never, sadly, we didn't. We weren't able to pay our submissions people, you know, the people who submitted yeah, stuff to us yeah. either. But like you know, we had no money. We were teenagers, and so you know uh, that was. I think just we we just kept going with it because it was great to to feel like we got stuff out there, right? Like so much, especially at that age. Um, I remember the part of the reason that we started it was because I had submitted a story to, uh, <laughs> we're going to go deep nerdy here for a second. The Star Wars role-playing game, they had this thing they put out every once in a while called the Adventure Journal, which featured short stories or like role-playing game adventures. And I submitted something to it and I was told that I, I was not able to get published because I was too young at that point. Um, which makes sense. I was a minor. I understand. Um, but I was frustrated by that because I'm like, well, how am I going to get any better if I'm not able to publish things? Yeah. So the internet kind of let you do that, right? Like nobody, you know, they like the old saying on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Like same thing with if you're, you know, 15 year old boy, nobody knows. You just, you put stuff out there and if it's good, maybe people respond to it. And if it's not, well, you know, in those days, at least you didn't get as much abuse, I think. Yeah, it was just yeah. like people would just ignore it, move on to the next thing. Oh man. Uh, okay, so all right, so you start out of really internal motivation, right? Like you start out of this mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. we wanted to put something out there and tell our stories. When does it switch to I mean, you said you were 25 when when you got your first, you know, freelance article, right? right? Yeah. Like so mentally, when did you go, "Oh, I can I can do this thing and actually make money out of it and it's it's different now." Yeah, it actually came out of, so I was working this web dev uh, IT job uh, at a university here, and I liked doing some aspects of that job. I love helping people with technology, and that's one thing I like to do even with my writing. But like, I worked at it, it was a small research program, there's maybe 20 people or less there. And I was responsible along with the other IT guy for just like everything, soup to nuts, all the hardware, all the software installs, like designing our website all of that. And like parts of that were fun, but I got mired in a project that was like, this project will never end. I sort of like could project out and see like, I will be, if I stay here, I'll be working on this project for the next decade. And I'm not that excited about it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the writing part had always been something I had done on the side. And while I was working at that job, I finally decided like, I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to finish a novel. Uh, and I managed to actually do that. And, uh, you know, I, I sent it out and I got rejection letters and stuff like that. And while I was working on that, I, I also ended up with this opportunity to uh, write 
um, it was so it would have been 2005 um, and uh, Revenge of the Sith episode three was coming out most of my life is tied to Star Wars very quickly you'll realize understandable this. it's understandable <laughs> right everybody's got to track it somehow right uh, and so I decided to write an essay about being a Star Wars fan in that era and on a whim uh, a friend of mine had gotten some pieces published in the Boston Globe. And so he put me in contact with his editor, who put me in contact with another editor. I was like, look, I got this piece. Uh, I just, you know, if you guys are interested, here it is. And they published it, which was wild to me. Like, I I really did not quite, it was a sudden jump for me because I had gone from like, I'm just mucking around and I've got this thing and I'll, I'll put it out there and maybe somebody will bite and they decided they would publish it. I, I will note, I did not get paid for that either. Um, <laughs> in retrospect, now as a professional, I'm like, man, that they should have paid me something for that. Yeah, seriously. Um, but, it, you know, Maidens of the Paper was on the front page of the art section next to the review of episode three when it came out. That was kind of crazy for me because it was like, I, I can't believe I actually got something published in like a piece of paper that you go and get off the newsstand. And so I started thinking more seriously at that point, like maybe I could do something with this. And I, um, I probably told this story elsewhere, but... I, I basically, since being, I, I was, since I was tired of my job, I sort of went through and made a list of like, here, what are all the things I would like to do? And one of the things that came up was like, oh man, you know, I've read Macworld magazine for pff, 10 years. Uh, I would love to write for Macworld. Um, I was a huge fan of the back page columns that used to be in there from people like Guy Kawasaki, uh, Douglas Adams wrote one at one point. Um, and just, you know, all the really great sort of opinion articles that were in there. Those are my favorite part of reading the magazine. And so I thought, well, I'll reach out and I'll, I'll see what that might be like. And so I emailed, um, the editor of the magazine at the time, who was Jason Snell, cause he always put his email address at the bottom of his columns. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in getting started, uh, as somebody who writes about technology. Can you make any suggestions? And he very nicely wrote back and was like, yeah, I suggest you maybe talk to these people and submit some stuff. Um, to uh, one of the places he suggested is Tidbits, which is still around, mm-hmm. which is run by my friend Adam Angst and Tanya Angst. Um, and uh, I I was like, great, that sounds awesome. And then I proceeded to not do that at all because <laughs> I was a little bit lazy. Um, and it took me a while to like get to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm ready to leave this you know tech job that I'm at. And when I did that, um, I sort of took a break from things. And one of the things I did while I was taking a break uh, was go out to the Macworld Expo in San Francisco, which was still a going concern at that point because I'd always wanted to go. I'd never been able to go to an Apple keynote. Uh, and so I was. I went there, and uh, among the things uh, that I did while I was there, I saw a panel that Jason Snell was on, and I was like, oh, that guy, I wrote him an email. you know. And so I went up to him after the panel. I was like, hey, I sent you an email you know, a couple of years ago about writing for you know Macworld or technology. And I just sort of said, do you have any jobs available? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, we don't have any, we're not hiring like full-time jobs right now, but we are sort of ramping up a blog to cover Apple stuff. That's a little bit different from what we do at Macworld because their online presence was a little different in those days. It was a lot of like the sort of print stuff repurposed for online. It didn't have the same sort of conversational tone as a lot of the blogs that were up and coming in that age in sort of the early mid 2000s. He's like, yeah, we might be looking for some contributors. Why don't you shoot me an email? And so, um, you know, a month later or so, I shot him an email and I had some samples and he basically was like, yeah, this looks great. Why don't you start writing for us? So uh, I started writing uh, for MacUser.com, which was in uh, early 2006. And 
I ended up writing a lot for them. He basically, we started out and he's like, well, you know, let's just say, you know, we'll pay you. <laughs> it was a pretty low rate at those days. We'll pay you $5 for a blog post and you can write a hundred blog posts a month, let's say maximum. Uh, and I said, okay. And then I wrote a hundred blog posts that month. Wow. And then I wrote a hundred blog posts a month after that. And I just kept going. Um, and I think uh, they sort of, they started up another blog around the same time called Gadget Box that was sort of a more generic tech blog. And I was one of the lead writers on that. Uh, and then they started, you know, assigning me stuff from Macworld. Like they asked me to do some more pieces for the, you know, Macworld.com. And I wrote a piece for the magazine and it just sort of kept going. They asked me to do all these. I did a lot of menial things in those days. I used to review iPod cases, which is probably the worst gig in the world. Because <laughs> after you've written about 50 reviews of iPod cases, you realize I have I have nothing left to say about yeah, iPod yeah. cases. Uh, and eventually they just decided, you know what? It'll be cheaper if we just hire you as a full-time staffer because you're doing so much work for us right now. Uh, and that was about a little over a year after I started blogging for them. And so I started working full-time for them, which was great. And, and you were able to do um, the freelance stuff, you know, the the not one-off pieces because, I mean, you're writing 100 in a month, right? So it's like, I mean, that's that keeps you really busy. But yeah. it's like you were able to do that for a year and then, then they brought you in full-time. Like you, you weren't doing anything else then? No, at that point I was not. When I left my old job, I basically moved back in with my parents, which none of us were like super thrilled about. But, yeah, you know, yeah. they were great. My parents are great. And they, they really supported the fact that I was going to sort of take a, take a wild leap into the unknown on this. Um, and the stuff, just because I was pumping out so much quantity for the Mac world, they did it. I mean, I didn't really have a lot of time to do other stuff. I sort of experimented here and there and I tried to submit a few things. Nothing really took off. And the Mac user gig for me was so good. And I enjoyed it so much yeah. that I really didn't want to be doing anything else. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna, this is one of my dreams, right? Like I've been wanted to write for Mac world. So I sort of threw myself into that with wild abandon and, um, the more the work they gave me, the more I was happy to take it on. And so it ended up being a really great fit because it was something I really wanted to do. Um, they needed someone to handle like certain types of content that, you know, they didn't necessarily have people to do at that point. It freed up a lot of the senior people to do more interesting stuff. And so I, I, I had an opportunity to really uh, build out my own um, you know, set of my own repertoire, my own uh, types of content, just got a lot of chance to write pretty much everything under the sun, which was a great experience at that age. Yeah, so so I, I don't want to skip forward through Macworld too much, but it's like, so you were writing for Macworld. How long did you do that? Uh, I worked there full-time for seven years. Okay, and then, and then I, you know, that was kind of before I really started getting into, you know, tech journalism and tech blogging and all that stuff, right? So I know you more through six colors, right? And I know you more <laughs> through different things, but that's, you know, that's fairly recent. So what, yeah. what was that whole process like <laughs> going from big gigantic company to small indie, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, publishing? It's fascinating to me that you, you say that just because I think of that as such a small a small chapter of my life because in part because it's like the chapter I'm still in, right? Yeah, like so yeah. you you're like, oh yeah, I've only been doing that, and then I start thinking about the math. I'm like, I guess I've been doing that to close to as much time as I worked at MacWorld yes. now. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did not really put that one together. Thanks. I'm feeling feeling a little older now. Uh, <laughs> no, I. Um, it was a big change. Um, what was great about it? So what ended up happening, and this story is out there too, but essentially, uh, I and many of my colleagues at MacWorld were laid off. 
uh, in the fall of 2014, um, <laughs> right after the uh, Apple announced the Apple Watch. Um, and I kind of wasn't sure what to do with myself. Um, and so one of the opportunities I got was that my boss at Macworld, Jason Snell, who in, he and I have become very good friends, very frequent collaborators, um, while we were at Macworld, uh, he's like, look, I'm, I'm leaving as well. And I'm going to start this site. Cause I just want a chance to sort of do my own thing, go indie, you know, write my own content, decide what I'm going to do. Um, it's like, why don't you come write some stuff for me? I was like, all right, that, that sounds like a good opportunity while I'm sort of trying to figure out what's next for me. Uh, and I did some other stuff while I was, uh, making that transition. I wrote for popular science for a little while. Uh, I did a bunch of freelance pieces for other sources. Um, and, I, but like, you know, Six Colors was there as a nice little like stable, uh, you know, venture. It's like, I always had a place to put stuff if I wanted to write anything about technology. It was a great outlet for that. And Jason was spending a lot of time building sort of the brand of that. Um, and I feel like it was very different. You didn't have the sort of support system necessarily that you did working at a big company, right? Like you didn't necessarily have the, I'm getting a steady salary. Um, you know, I, I have assignments that are handed to me by an editor a lot of the time. Um, I have a very specific type of purview in terms of like, well, I'm supposed to be carrying, uh, like uh, covering this area. I'm supposed to be writing this type of content. You know, whereas being an indie, it's a lot more free form. It's a lot more like, well, you know, what do I want to write about? What do I think is interesting? Um, and Honestly, I, I love the freedom of it. I think it's the thing that attracts me to it the most is the idea that it's not as regimented in terms of like, you need to produce X number mm -hmm. of pieces every day. Because that was a big thing, especially in those early days when you know I was on the verge of bur burning out a lot of times. It's like you're pumping out 100 pieces in a month. You know, that's three or four pieces a day. And that, even if they're short, that can be draining. It oh, can yeah. be oh, yeah. really, yeah. And, and it comes with a whole lifestyle of like, you're constantly on the prowl, you're constantly skimming all the headlines. Um, you're, you're reading, you know, social media as it were in those days or RSS or whatever, and just like looking for something to write about. And that's a lot of pressure. And I think it's one of the things I hated the most about my job is always feeling like I had to be glued to a computer looking for that thing because you had to like be producing content. And so being at Six Colors has been, you know, we get to set our agenda we get to decide how much we're going to write. We get to decide what we're going to cover. And it, it gives us a lot more freedom to do things that, you know, maybe you couldn't develop as easily at a bigger site because you don't have the time or you're busy churning out, uh, you know, a bunch of quick hit pieces that cover sort of the news because people got it. You need to keep them tuning in, right? Like you need to sort of put a stake in the ground. And like, if there's a new a news story, even if there's not something necessarily for you to say that hasn't been said by a hundred different outlets already, you still need to cover it, right? Like if Apple issues a press release, you can't just be like, eh, <laughs> I don't care. Like, yeah. that's not that interesting. No, you got you to put your stake in the ground and you got to say something about it because people will show up at your site and be like, how come there's nothing about this? Whereas on an indie site, people come because they want to read the stuff we wrote and not, not just because they need to know what is the latest news that's happening all the time. Well, yeah, and, and, I've, and I've appreciated, you know, I've seen this before and I, I would assume that, you're a similar way like there are times when you'll want to be on the front edge of that right and then there are times where you're like okay we're intentionally not going to be on the front edge of that but right. we're going to go deep like we're going to do this angle on the story or we're going to do this Absolutely. you know this different thing and it's like i love getting the different perspectives from that you know whereas like okay if i know if i want you know the the 
it just hot off the presses kind of thing. Like I'm going to go here and I'm going to look here because they're going to give me the first look. But then if I right. want somebody who's really thought about it for a couple weeks, I'm going to go over here and I, I, have, a, I have an idea that they're going to have thought about it. So that's it's good to have all of those different mm -hmm. perspectives yeah, in, in the field. Absolutely, because I, so many of those ones that are about like we got to get out and we got to be first, there's only so much information usually that's available. Uh, a lot of the sites that are covering sort of the breaking news angle they're pulling from the same information, right? So like you go to six different sites, they all kind of know the same thing because they haven't gotten to spend any time with it, right? Like they know if they're covering a product release, they know the specs, you know, they know what the company has told them, but they don't really have a chance to say the experience of using yeah. a product for a long period of time. That's a, that's a different thing, right? And I think we do have the leisure of being able to say, we don't need to be first. We can take a week, we can take two weeks spending time with a device or with a piece of software or just with a piece of news yeah. and get a chance to sort of digest it and think about like, what are the actual implications of this? And what does it look like a week or two after this thing comes out? Uh, okay, so so you've been part of both the push and the pull, right? Where somebody's somebody's <laughs> pushing you to make more, and mm -hmm. then there's this, or I guess maybe it's the other way. Somebody's pulling you to make more, and then you're pushing out your own content. If you had to pick a good percentage, right? Like mm -hmm. what would you want that that breakdown to be? Because I can imagine you'd want it to be a little bit of both, but what, what would you sure. want that to be? Yeah, um, I feel like I'm sort of like a two thirds, I wanna decide what I wanna write and I'm gonna like do my thing and push it out to probably about a third, like it's nice to have a hook every once in a while. Yeah. It's nice to have somebody give you something and be like, see what you think about this or look into this or something like that. I, I think that that is a good structure to have. And, and one big part of it is that it relies heavily on collaboration, right? Like if somebody else is sort of giving you something to do, a lot of times it's like, you know, if you have a partner or a boss or whatever, um, you know, it's them thinking, well, this is interesting. Why don't you take a look at this? And so you get a chance to trust their judgment um, you get a chance to sort of bounce ideas off each other rather than being in that vacuum where you're like, I just need to come up with something to write today or I, what, what is what do I want to talk about today? And sometimes, you know, I write a weekly column at Macworld still and like some weeks are better than others when it comes to like, what am I going to write about this week? Because sometimes you're just sitting at there staring at the screen for like an hour like, I know I can write a piece. I just need an idea yeah. and no amount of staring at this screen is giving me an idea any faster. And, and you're at, and you're at the stage now, right? Where you've built your own personal brand and you've built your reputation up to where they say, Hey, we want a weekly column from you on whatever you want to write it on. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, so when I pitched this, uh, my column at Macworld's called stay foolish and the sort of larger idea of it is usually like, let's analyze what's going on and sort of, push things out to the future and see like, what are the implications of this going forward? And sometimes it's about where are the missed opportunities for Apple uh, or where are the, what is this leading to, right? Like we've seen them do X, Y, and Z. What does that suggest they might be working on? Um, so it's it's that sort of analysis and uh, opinion angle, I think, that is, is what people look for from me. And that's what I like writing about because it's it's interesting to sort of synthesize that information to look at the breadcrumbs and see like, what what are the things that, you know, a year from now, we look back and we were like, ah, it should have been obvious, right? Like we should have connected those dots and we would have known that they were about to deliver this amazing new product that does this. Uh, I think that's that's fun sort of puzzle solving for me. All right, so looking back on it, right? Like you've written a lot of words um, on the <laughs> internet. What do you, 
what do you wish you knew when you started, right? In terms from writing, let's just talk about writing because we're going to make yeah, a switch yeah. here in, in a couple minutes uh, to talking and actually speaking into a microphone. But it's like, what do you what do you wish you knew about typing words and publishing them on the internet? Uh, what do I wish I knew? Well, I think looking back, if I could give myself, you know, one big piece of advice, and it's the advice I give to anybody who's interested in in writing is there is there's no magic to it. Um, you know, I like to say there's no voodoo to it. Like people are always trying to crack that secret of like, wow, how do I, how do I become a writer? And, and the answer as any good writer will tell you is you write, that's it. Like, and I wish I had realized earlier that it's like, I don't need permission or I don't need to find the perfect thing. Uh, I feel like in the, in the mid part, you know, like my late teens, early twenties, I spent a lot of time bogged down on like trying to come up with like the perfect thing. Like, ah, this will be my magnum opus. And of course, when you're 20, like <laughs> the idea that you've come up with your magnum opus already, unless you're, you know, Mozart or whatever, mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty unlikely. You got mm-hmm. hopefully got a lot of life left in you. Um, and so I feel like I, I wish I had just sort of, I wish I dove in earlier. And I think that's the big piece of, like I said, the big piece of advice I give everyone is just like, just start doing it. Um, and, and for me, you know, certainly putting stuff out when I was a teenager was a good start. I wish I'd sort of stuck with that more. Um, I, I wish that I had, I wish I had understood the business a little better too. I think that's the other thing that I didn't know as much about when I sort of started out is like, how does this work, right? Like how does pitching work? How does getting assignments work? Like, how do you sort of, you know, get to a point where it's not just about, I'm going to write stuff and put it out there, but that you're actually, you know, working in that field as a professional. And again, the answer is it's not that hard. You just kind of have to start doing it. And once you do, like, then you have stuff to show off. You have, you know, samples and all that. And it's, it's really, it's not untenable. Like it's, it's not to say it's not difficult and doesn't require a lot of perseverance, but that perseverance and hard work and dedication, all of that is superior to the idea that you need to be struck with lightning with some brilliant idea, or you need, you know, a muse, or you need to wait for that sort of perfect opportunity to come along. You got to kind of make your own opportunities. That's awesome. All right. So let's take off your typing hat, right? right. Your, your keys on or fingers on keyboard. Uh, and now let's go to talking into a microphone because you do a lot of that too. Um, I mean, you have clockwise, you have rebound, um, inconceivable. You have a, you, I, I don't even, I don't know if guest is the right word, but you're often on a lot of other incomparable shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, what got you started there and, and how did that, how does that story un, unfold? Podcasting is an interesting thing, right? I mean, in early 2000s probably is when it first started to come up and it was very niche at that point. There were definitely people doing it. Um, as they will often tell you, um, but it it had not become a fully fledged thing, and I think a big part of that was you still had it was in the era where people were relying on like iPods, and you would download stuff to your computer and you'd sync it to your iPod, and then maybe you listen to a podcast. So it was kind of it's kind of niche. Um, I think the big thing that changed that obviously is the introduction of the iPhone and the modern smartphone. All of a sudden it was way easier to get these files. And once sort of bandwidth became a big thing, uh, you know, higher speed phones, then it was a lot easier to just be like looking at your phone and be like, Oh, a podcast, press play. Mm -hmm. There it is. You removed Mm -hmm. all the friction. So I, my first real foray into podcasting, um, there were two, one was Macworld has had a podcast for a super long time. Um, I did a bunch of segments for them when I worked there. 
and even before that, when I worked at Mac user, I would do uh, the odd segment or two interview. I actually just found audio the other day from one of my first appearances on the Macworld podcast in like 2006 or seven, uh, which was kind of wild. And then I briefly, um, my friend Tony Sindelar, uh, who is a frequent incomparable panelist as well, uh, he and I had a really short-lived podcast that I don't think is anywhere on the internet anymore, which is probably for the best. Um, <laughs> that we, It was like a dozen episodes of something. It was called the Doomcast, and it was mainly like just totally totally improv riffing on like we would have a, a handful of topics and then we would just discuss these weird bizarre topics in sort of a very like deadpan way uh, and then I'd cut it together later um, it was fun it was a great exercise uh, it was really early for both of us and we didn't like really know what we were doing and I think we had an audience of maybe like 10 people including one of our friends who was at grad school I think I feel like we made it just for him because he had these like long hours in the lab and he'd be like oh I just need more episodes of your podcast yeah that's <laughs> it's awesome. like all right that's very targeted yeah. um in 2010 uh Jason Snell who I mentioned already and I know has been on your show already uh he started The Incomparable and the idea behind this was essentially he and a lot of our mutual friends a lot of whom are tech writers we're all giant nerds and we liked talking about other stuff like movies and books and comics and all this stuff. And he's like, well, maybe we should try recording a podcast uh, where we just discuss stuff. And so we are like, yeah, this, this sounds fun. Let's give it a try. And so in August of 2010, we started recording episodes of The Incomparable, um, which was <laughs> in some ways, I don't want to say is either ambitious or anti-ambitious because we had these early episodes where we would cover like everything in a single genre. Like, let's talk about all the works of Joss Whedon. <laughs> in one hour <laughs> and we we just didn't really have any sense of like how long is this going to go right you know what is this a long-term project or this is something we'll do for a few months and then we'll be like nah no that was a good run but now we're done um, but around that time podcasting was really taken off um and so in addition to doing that over at Macworld, um we were launching some other brands at the time and um not long after that, Jason and I started a podcast called Clockwise, which was originally over at uh, IDG at uh, the Tech Hive website that we launched. And the idea was, you know, we'll have a couple guests on. We'll talk about a bunch of different technology topics. We'll make it 30 minutes because so many podcasts are really long. We'll do a nice short one. And so that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of our uh, colleagues from IDG and the various different brands there, PC World and Mac World, and we would have them on. It would be a really great opportunity to talk about these things. Um and so we were lucky enough that when we left IDG in 2014, we were able to take the show with us uh, and move it over to Relay FM. And uh, Jason and I spent a while hosting that. And of course, Jason went on to some other stuff. Uh, and uh, Micah Sargent's now my co-host over there. Um, but it was it was really a great opportunity at the time. I think so many podcasts uh, that started in that era were very freeform, right? Those very conversational, like there's three or four people on here and they're just going to talk about a subject. And so when we started Clockwise, a lot of that was born out of this idea of like, what if we tried something that was much more regimented, much more formatted, like a like a TV show that, you know, you might watch like a TV talk show. Um, and so that really, I think, was one of the things that made that show really successful is that it adhered to this very specific format. It had restrictions on time and it had a like you know, an order and a, a predictability to it that I think a lot of people really responded to. Um, and so in those early days, being able to play with all these different formats and try out these different things, 
it was a great it was a great chance to really see what podcasting could do and i liked it so much that i just like i said yes to like every opportunity that came along so getting to do the incomparable or clockwise um getting to run my own game show which was something i really was excited about doing and i and i just had always dreamed of being able to do um i think it's a great medium to play around with all these different types of shows. And as we've seen from the explosion into podcasting, it's super popular because mm-hmm. people really enjoy the format. And so I, I'm, I'm happy to have been on sort of one of the, the, you know, early edges of that. Uh, obviously I like, like so many things I feel like I do, it's, it's gotten super popular in other places, right? Like people who came after me or, uh, you know, even around the same time, you know, their shows become those incredible, incredible viral sensations like you talk about. And I feel like that's great. We do a really solid, you know, have a solid audience and a great community around so many of the shows that we do that even if they're not, you know, those, you know, your serial or whatever, like it's still a really great experience. And the fact is that podcasting supports that in a way that a lot of other mediums don't, right? Like you can't, it's really hard to do movies or TV shows where it's like, we've just got this little small yeah, audience, you, but they're really yeah. devoted, right? <laughs> we did okay. Uh, no, yeah, you, you exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Podcasting is nice that way. I really, I really appreciate that. Well, about well, it. And one of the things I love about it, right, is, um, you know, it's, it's the community aspect of it too, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. even though it's not true, like I listen to Clockwise and, you know, I think I'm part of this round table, right. like this panel, right? And I like, even though I'm not saying a word, but I'm agreeing with different people when I'm, I'm doing these things. And it's like, I'm building this community that I'm actually not part of, but it doesn't matter if the community's big or small. It's just, I know that, I know that it's there and I know that, you know, like, or at least I feel like I'm, I'm part of something. So well, I love that about it. Yeah. And you are part of it. I mean, I think that's the best part about it is it does feel intimate in a way that a lot of other media doesn't. And Moreover, because of the fact that it's on the internet and because of the fact that now we have so many of these great independent podcasts, especially that really flourished, a lot of those podcasts now have communities built up around them. You know, over at The Incomparable, we have a membership program and we have, say, you know, we have a Slack mm-hmm. that's for members. And that's provided, you know, a real community. I've seen people, groups in that Slack who have gone on and started their own podcast or they now play D&D together or they play online games together. And it's like, we did kind of foster that. Like we yeah, found absolutely. it was an ability for like, like-minded people to find a way to get together and find each other. And and honestly, that's great. That's almost more gratifying than putting the show out there. It's the idea that you like, you helped people connect with other people and your show might have been incidental to that, but like it still played a part. Well, and and you know you, you said about it is community. The other thing that I thought about as you were saying that was if I send you a tweet or an email or something like that, like there's a really good chance you're going to respond because sure, yeah. because that you know it's not eight million people all emailing the same person right. or all throwing it you know, the fire hose into the person where they literally can't respond. Yeah. It's, Hey, you said this thing the other day and I just wanted to tell you that like, here's my perspective on it. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. <laughs> but at the same time, it the, like there is a chance that it's going to hit your eyes and that's cool. Sure. Like th- yeah. to know that that's hap- that uh, that can happen is really cool. Yeah. And it, it totally does. I mean, honestly, like, you know, if you're Stephen King, you can't answer every yeah. piece of fan mail you get. Right. Like, but you know, in our sort of smaller niche communities, I think, I, you know, A, I do try to respond to pretty much every email that gets sent to me. Um, I don't respond to every tweet, but like I probably have read it like because I'm one of 
a bit of a Twitter completionist at times. Um, so yeah, like there is a really good chance that I have almost certainly read your response and a pretty good chance that I'll respond to it in some way. And I, and I agree. I like that because it does, it does feel engaging. And, and some of it is again, because podcasting grew up alongside a lot of these other channels with like social media, right? Like, you know, people have been writing books for hundreds of years. Um, but it wasn't, there wasn't necessarily like a way to get at those people, right? Like you could send them a, a, like a letter, but it might go into the void. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for a sort of, uh, a way to just be like, oh, hi, I just really like what you do, right? Like you might see them on the street if you're lucky, but because we have social media and email and all that stuff, it's a lot easier for people to write in and just be like, you know, hey, you're easily reachable. I just want to say I like what you do, uh, which incidentally is never a bad thing to do. Uh, if you're, especially if you just want to say that, like, hi, I like your work. I do that with famous people I've run into yeah. all the time. And usually they're really nice about it because that's all they want to know is like, oh, thanks. I, yes. <laughs> thank you for liking what I do. Somebody enjoyed it. Yay. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I don't know a lot about the rebound. I mean, I've listened to the rebound, right? Um, off and on for, for a while, but. It's not one. It's not one in my regular rotation, and I don't mm -hmm. have. I, I don't feel weird telling you that. Like that's, that's okay. Um, but tell me how it started. Tell me how it developed. You know, where did that come from? So, I mean, the podcast itself, as its title sort of jokingly suggests, is it started around the time I joined Six Colors, uh, which was essentially uh, when I left MacWorld, and I realized, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm leaving. I'm going to have a lot more time on my hands. And I can also do stuff on the side that's about technology that's not, you know, sort of bound by where I work, right? Like, so stuff that I did when I worked at Macworld, if it was technology related, it had to be for Macworld, basically. Like, I couldn't freelance. So the fact that I was suddenly like, oh, I no longer have an employer. Um, boy, I love doing podcasts. It would be great to do a technology show. And so, um, you know, my friends Lex Friedman and John Moltz, uh, Lex used to work with me at Macworld. Uh, John has been a frequent, you know, tech pundit and writer uh, for years and also, you know, really in-depth Apple follower. Uh, they're good friends of mine. We always enjoyed just sitting around and shooting the breeze about technology. I was like, why don't we do a podcast? And they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I, I suckered them into that. Um, and, you know, here we are five years later and we're still going. Um, and I think it's just it was an opportunity for us to just have super casual conversations about technology. I think in some ways, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on the, uh, the accidental tech podcast guys, but I will because they're <laughs> way, way more popular than us and they're way smarter than us. Uh, all those guys are, I mean, Marco, Casey and John are all friends of mine. Um, they do great work, but at the same time, we're like, what if there was a show for people who like that, but also like really stupid jokes. <laughs> And that was kind of our niche is like, we're like the accidental tech podcast guys. If they were a lot dumber uh, and a lot shorter, that was the other thing. It was like, none of us had the time to do a two hour podcast. So we're like, we'll do a 45 minute podcast. Uh, it'll be kind of irreverent. Um, and, you know, just honestly, it's the kind of thing that we would do, even if it weren't really being recorded is we yeah. would just sit there and we would talk about technology. And it's the kind of thing that you know, when we used to do like Macworld Expo and shows like that, and you get together with your friends in the bar and you just be sitting around like talking about what happened that day or something that you learned, like that was kind of the atmosphere that we were going for is just something that was super casual. Like you're not going to turn to it for hard hitting analysis or the nitty gritty technical details. Uh, but if you like just sort of kind of strange <laughs> like weird jokes and and just sort of hanging out with people like that's that's kind of the, the response we get a lot of times is like 
I love listening to the show because it just feels like I'm hanging out with my friends. Yep. Um, yeah, that's kind of what we aim for. So, and, and I think you, I think you time. hit it well. I, I really do think you hit it well. And then like the um, rapport between you know the three of you is uh, is spot on. So it's, so it's I like that a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say it's funny because just this morning I was looking something up and I came across an email I'd sent to John um, a decade ago, <laughs> like all, like literally almost 10 years ago, like in two days or something. And I was like struck by it in some ways because the, the tone, the content of the email was actually like quite a, quite a personal serious thing. Um, and I was like, wow, if I was, I, I was trying to think back, like how long have I known John? And I was realizing if I sent him this email that was like really this kind of personal email a decade ago, <laughs> We had then we must have been friends for several yeah. years already at that point. I was like, oh no, I've known these people too long. <laughs> yeah, you're you're really you're really realizing uh, time and, uh, yeah, and age this on is, this show. Jeez, this I, is maybe this will bring it idea. home a little bit here. Yeah. All right, so so Dan here. This you know normally I would save a question like this for the unlightning round at the end of the show, but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with it right now. Mm. What's your job? <laughs> oh my god, what is my job? Um, I consider, I don't know. I have these sort of three legs. You know, I, I loved years and years ago, Steve Jobs talked about how Apple had, like, its its business was like a three-legged stool. I remember and, this. And, yeah, it was like the, I think it was the iPhone and the Mac and maybe the iPod at that point still. Uh, God, it was a long time ago. And they were they always talked about it because, like, oh, the Apple TV, it's not ready to be a leg of the stool yet. Uh, but I kind of, I liked that metaphor because, it, it made sense to me and it was something I've kind of modeled my own life after is like if I had just gone into being a straight up like freelance writer after leaving Macworld, I could have done it, but I feel like it would have been a very consuming job because I would have spent a lot of time like doing that hustle and trying to find places to pitch pieces. And it wasn't really, that was not something I was excited about <laughs> was doing the like constantly being hungry and getting, having to go out to all these publications and be like, hey, do you want me to write about this? Hey, do you want me to write about this? I wanted a little more chance to do something that was a little more laid back, a little more on my own schedule. Um, and so I was lucky enough to have podcasting as sort of a second leg at that point and be like, you know what? I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to do Clockwise over at Relay FM. Um, and that's going to give me a little bit of additional income. I didn't think it would be that much at the time. Um, I, nowadays, uh, podcasting and writing, honestly, are about like a 50-50 mix for me for income, which is also bananas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then writing, you know, fiction had always for me been the thing that I really wanted to do. And I was aware that like, that's not, again, not an easy road uh, to get into. It's, it's not something that you can necessarily depend on for a lot of reliable income, but it's something I wanted to work towards. And so, you know, I, I had been working on books on and off basically my entire life. Uh, and you know, it took me a long time to get to the point of actually getting an agent and getting published. And, uh, I've discussed some of that over on the incomparable. Um, but you know, I got to a point where it's like, all right, I actually have gotten a book or two published. I feel like I'm starting to understand this business a little more. And it's, again, not something that is necessarily going to be my prime income generator, but it, it contributes a little bit, which is great. Uh, and it means I can balance all of those things. The, the tricky part is that where you put your energy isn't always rewarded by a commensurate return in income. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. spend a lot of time writing a book doesn't mean I made a lot of money on that book. Um, whereas maybe I don't spend 
a ton of time doing, say, clockwise. It's a half an hour show every week, right? There's other stuff that goes into that. But overall, it's not a show that I spend like a ton of time on. And yet that show does very well, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it enables me to balance out my life a little bit more by having the freedom to have time to work on projects that aren't necessarily profitable. In that sense, it's kind of like any business, right? Like if you want to go back to the example of Apple again, you have products like the iPhone, which they spend a lot of time developing and spend a lot of money on. And part of the benefit of that is that the because the profit, it makes so much money, it makes so much profit, you can sort of funnel that back into, let's work on some other stuff that won't necessarily be profitable now, but might in the long term. Movie studios do this too. You know, you get big tentpole releases and those help fund the sort of smaller pictures that are riskier. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, like that's kind of how I view it is like I'm, I'm diversified. Like I'm going to work on a bunch of different stuff and the stuff that does well is great. I'm going to keep working on that, but I'm also going to use the uh, what that gives what that sort of affords me to work on projects that are not necessarily as financially uh you know <laughs> remunerative but are things that i really want to do and that there's sort of a hope that i invest more time in this and more energy into this and maybe someday down the road it does become a larger chunk of my income and maybe it's something i can afford to spend more time on or i can spend time on other new projects that don't necessarily bring in money so to answer your question which i totally evaded um I, I think my full-time job is, I, I guess, like sort of broadly, I, oh God, I don't want to use the word creator. I feel like that's so overused these no, days. No, but you are. You are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, I, that's what I do is I, I make stuff. Uh, and a lot of it is writing. And even if it's talking, I, I think of that as kind of the similar thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that fair? Can I say well, writing well, and that's, talking? That's why <laughs> I bring, like in my mind with this show, it's not like talking to the internet is the most general form of talking that you can think about, right? <laughs> I don't right. care if you're yeah. typing. I don't care if you're doing YouTube videos. I don't care if you're talking into a microphone. If you're communicating over the internet, I just didn't like. Th- I didn't like the phrase "communicating on the internet," right? Like I thought talking <laughs> yeah, no, on the internet less catchy. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, but before we move, I want to make sure that we plug uh, your three your three books. Right. We're not going to talk about them in detail here because this isn't isn't the context. But um, can you can you give us a you know, a 60 second pitch on your three books. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things I love, I love science fiction, especially stuff set in space and sort of space operas. Uh, and I love spies. And I decided I wanted to combine those two things. I would love to tell a spy story that's set in space. Uh, and so that sort of birthed the idea for the uh, uh, the series of novels that I've worked on. Um, the first book I wrote was The Caledonian Gambit, uh, which came out from Talos Press in 2017. And it sort of deals with a covert operative in this galactic Cold War, and he recruits this washed-up pilot to help him track down a super weapon. Um, I then moved publishers, uh, and my second book, which came out last year, The Bayern Agenda, deals with, it's set in the same universe, deals with a lot of the same characters, but sort of sort of a new launching off point for this Galactic Cold War series, uh, and that involves a uh, investigation into a planet-sized bank and some shenanigans that are going on there, lots of intrigue, um, and then the follow-up to The Bayern Agenda, it's called The Aleph Extraction, and this one, I got to mix in uh, another one of my favorite genres, which is The Heist, so it takes place largely a board this sort of luxury cruise liner in space and involves uh, our band of heroes having to steal a uh, storied artifact supposedly created by aliens that might contain the key to some advanced technology so if you like just sort of fun adventures uh you know that's got it's got humor it's got uh, a little bit of drama it's got a lot of action and intrigue if that's the kind of stuff that you like i think you will enjoy these books 
Wonderful. And I'll have links to all of those uh, in all of the places where you would find links so in the show notes and on the website and everything like that. So people can check those out um, if they're interested in that. Um, okay, so you hit you hit um, kind of your separation of time and money and how all that balances out, which I really I really appreciated your perspective on there because some of the things that you do that you're I don't want to say most proud of or that, you know, you put most of your time in don't necessarily bring in the most money. And some of the things that bring in your most money, you don't have to work as hard for. So uh, it's kind of funny how that works. But one of the, I mean, the the next follow-up question is, Dan, where's the YouTube channel? I mean, come on. (laughs) You know, it's funny. uh, As we record this today, uh, one of my other friends, Renee Ritchie, uh, who used to work at iMore, has just gone indie on his YouTube channel. And Renee's been doing a ton of YouTube content in the last several years and really killing it. Um, But what he reminds me is that it's hard. Uh, YouTube video stuff is hard. I've always loved video stuff. I did some video editing when I was younger. I I came across as I was recently cleaning off some old computers, uh, some old video projects I made while I was in college. Um, And if I had, you know, at one point I had actually, I'll tell you, I I applied to go to a bunch of film schools for grad school. I didn't get into any of them, which is why I didn't go into that field. (laughs) But I love doing it. And I love visual storytelling. And I think some of it is... I don't have a really good idea for what kind of video content I would produce. Uh, and the other is like, I don't have, I mean, I could, I could figure out how to do all of it. And I understand some of the fundamentals. I don't have the equipment. Um, I think, but, but I think it's the idea that that's really the big problem, right? Like the equipment and the skills, all that stuff is learnable. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned a little bit doing some of the, so we do for um, Total Party Kill, which is our D&D podcast over in the Incomparable. We do do some video content. Uh, and I've been learning a little bit about streaming and, and live broadcasting and stuff over there. Um, but I, it's not something I've spent a lot of my time and energy on. Uh, funny enough, my publisher for um, uh, Angry Robot, which has done Bayern and Aleph, asked me if they uh, might do a book video or something before the next book comes out. So I may be looking into that at some point in the not too distant future. But yeah, I think the big thing is I just haven't figured out exactly what that would look like. If people have ideas, if the people are things they want to see in a video for me, I will totally listen to that and I will consider doing it. Uh, but right now I just don't. I don't know what that would be, but it's cool. I like it's, the idea. It's so interesting because if you watch, you know, the behind the scenes on on some of these big YouTube channels or even just following, you know, Renee, you bring up Renee, right? Following him on MacBreak Weekly and, you know, through his vector like stuff. I feel like every day there's like a new gadget, a new widget, a new yeah, light, a new right. like something because it's going to make th- this thing better. And it does. But it's like, wow, that's just a process. Holy cow. Yeah, like, right. Go, in, go into that visual medium just seems to make it you know um, it's, a, it's a lot more complex yeah. i think you still there's a lot to balance there right like with even with podcasting podcasting is like get a good mic that's like that's like 70 percent of the battle there <laughs> it's like you can you can kind of do it on a budget and sound pretty great video is a lot harder to do on a budget and have it turn out with that same commensurate level of quality essentially because there's just another, not only are you worrying about sound, but now you have to worry about how you look. You got to worry about your backdrop. You got to worry about your lighting. And it's like, there is a lot that goes into that. There's editing, there's colored time, depending on how much you want to, time and energy you want to put in. And, and the answer is, it's kind of a bottomless pit. You can take as yeah. much time and energy as you want to put in it and money. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to tell you, you can only do one, right? Oh, You're God. only allowed to do one of the following types of activities. You can either write and I don't mean write novels. I mean like write uh, tech journalism. Uh, you can either write or you can podcast. Which one are you picking? 
I got to be honest, right now, like this very day and the very time that we live in, I would say podcast. And honestly, the reason, the biggest reason behind that is already even before our current world situation, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I work from home. And podcasting is one of the few ways you can hear how animated I am. And that's because I haven't talked to anybody all day. <laughs> And I think part of it is I just, I like talking to people. I've yeah. always been a person who enjoys having a good conversation with someone. Um, and it makes me, you know, especially people who are like, make me laugh and who I find insightful, like that's great and it's fun. And the ability to be able to do that and have it be something that other people want to listen to is extremely gratifying for me. And, and I love writing and it's not that I, would want to, you know, if I had to choose one, I, I feel like I, at least I could still get my writing in other forms if it weren't writing for tech sites. Uh, and so, but like, if you take away the ability to just talk about these things on podcasts with other people, I think I would just really, I would really be sad. I would be really sad. Whereas if I, you told me I didn't have to write another, you know, column or another news post for the rest of my life, I would think I would be like, eh, you know what? That's all right. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. All right, all right. I think I can work with that. Uh, all right. So, what are some challenges? What are some, what are some great things? Some pros and cons that you've experienced in all of your time talking to the internet? Um, well, I mean, so everything is kind of a double-edged sword. So we talked a little bit about being able to get responses. The downside to that is some people are jerks, and it's unfortunate, and it mm. bums me out. Right? Mm. Like sometimes you'll put things out there, and people want to nitpick it, um, or they want to just tell you how you're wrong. And I think that's, it's really frustrating a lot of times. It's not that people aren't entitled to their opinion. And I think that's fine. You don't like what I write. It's not for everyone. That's totally cool. What I object to is feel people who feel like they need to tell you <laughs> that, that what you did was bad. Yeah, it's like, exactly. I don't understand what anybody, like, what are you getting out of this? Like, aside from some sort of sense of superiority. And I, and I feel like, honestly, if you're doing it, let's be honest, you're not that superior. If you're just there critiquing what other people do, um, rather see you put that energy into producing something of your own. Heck, if you want to write a blog post that's like refuting something that I wrote or making an argument against it, that's far better than like going to me on Twitter or yeah. sending me an email and being like, this was stupid and here's why. It's like, at least you took the time to construct something and put it out there. I have some respect for that. Um, so that's like a big downside of the fact that you're so easily findable and reachable is that sadly, not everybody uh, is going to be respectful of your time and of the energy that you put into things. Um, the other thing, and I mentioned this sort of before, is like the idea of the feeding feeding the beast, as it were. Uh, coming up with content can feel like a treadmill, can feel like a never-ending thing, where it's like, especially now in the era of Twitter and in the era just of electronic media in general, there is such a transience to things like you read something and then you're like, Oh yeah, that was great. And then it's sort of, it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're on to the next mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a struggle with the idea like that you have to keep producing stuff because you're only as good as the last thing that you put out. Right. And there's so much media that's like, I got to keep people's attention and keep them from going on to the next thing. I, I got to keep them here for some time. And so I think the real struggle, and I've dealt with this a bunch in my life, is burnout. Is getting to the point where you're like, oh, I don't have anything interesting to say. Everything I've want, I want to say has been said by somebody else, and it's been said better. Uh, and you can really spend a lot of time sort of, you know, beating yourself up and getting into a funk about it. And I think that's that's hard. It's hard to be in a position where you're like, you're so much of 
what you're doing depends or feels like it depends, I should say, on that external validation, on somebody saying this was cool or I enjoyed this or getting a link from your favorite blogger, right? Like having them recognize what you do. That is that is a challenge. I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially people who maybe do really well at their at the outside, right? Like, oh, hey, here's this exciting new voice on the scene. They have this really interesting thing to say. That's a lot to live up to after that, right? Like you see the whole sophomore slump thing in a bunch of other different, especially in artistic medium as well. But I think even just with writing about tech news, like you could say something clever and smart and everybody will flock to you one day and they will have forgotten about you by the next day. So <laughs> dealing with that constant, like, I got to keep producing so I can hit those highs that's that's a trap that it's that's very easy to get into and i think it's one of the best things about going indie is not feeling like i'm as bound to that like yes i still want to produce good content and i still want people to read it and and think positively about it but i don't feel as much the need to feed the beast and just keep being like i gotta churn stuff out no matter what so if if somebody's trying to get started doing this Right. Where they want to start talking to the Internet in whatever form they want to. I know you gave the advice earlier to where, you know, just do, you know, mm -hmm, get mm -hmm. get used to it. You know, just start putting words on on the screen or talking into the microphone and those type of things. What and what other advice do you have for them as they're trying to get get rolling into this thing? I would say, honestly. So that's still the best advice is to start doing it, right? Like, so even if you decide like yeah, halfway through it, you know, you put out like four episodes of the podcast and you're like, eh, this didn't do go great or whatever. Like that can be disheartening. Sticking with it, it's important. Even if it means like, all right, I'll come up with a new idea for a show or uh, another different piece that I want to write about. Um, it's important to sort of keep on the horse because, uh, you know, I had a great uh, interchange. A friend of mine, Mike Cole, is an author, and we were on a podcast, uh, which is not out yet, but we recorded a week or two ago. And he said one of the things about the writing, about writing fiction was, um, and I think he said it came to someone else from, uh, came from someone else to him, was you got to want it more than you want the video games. <laughs> I was like, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. But yeah, a big part of it is you got to want to do it more than you want to like spend all your time doing something else, right? Like you got to stick with it. So that's a big part of it. I will say, Reaching out to creators that you admire, I think is often really good because especially in podcasting and tech writing, um, people tend to be responsive. Everybody has a story about how they got started and about how they sort of, you know, got to where they are now. And a lot of those people, in fact, I would say most of them uh, probably had an experience where they reached out to someone else who they view as a mentor or someone they admired and that sort of helped them on their road. I know that's true for me, and I, I think it's true pretty universally. So you you can always you know just be respectful and polite of people's time. Um, but you know if you write someone and say, "Hey, I really like what you're doing. Uh, this is what I'm doing. Maybe this will be of interest to you." Or, "Hey, what do you suggest if I'm doing this thing and I, I ran into this problem or something like that?" You know, it, I think people tend to be uh, very kind and generous in our in our area and our community, especially. Uh, I think that's a big thing. I mean, obviously, some people are going to be much busier and have harder times with that. So reaching out to like you know, Stephen King or the yeah. people who make cereal, probably not going to go as well. But like if there's like a small indie creator that you like and you're just like, hey, I like what you do. I'd love to do something similar. You might find that they're pretty responsive with that. So uh, I feel like that's a good place to go. And I, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Even in starting this show, um, you know, I won't name any names, but there are there are a few people that I just couldn't believe one that they even responded, you know, and then two that they were just willing to share important and relevant things that were very, very helpful, even though it maybe took 
two minutes for them to send the email, but it was like, oh my gosh, like that's so, that's makes so much sense. And I hadn't mm -hmm. thought about that. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much. Well, and um, those people will remember you later. And like, you know, maybe when you tweet about it, they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. that. And they sort of lift, we all lift each other up, right? Like that's the yeah. biggest trap that I don't want people to get into is the idea of this sort of like, you know, zero sum game when it comes to our kind of content. It's not like helping somebody else hurts you right like it doesn't yeah. making somebody else like succeed at what they're doing is not a detriment to the your own success it's beneficial we all lift each other up rising tide lifts all boats i think that's the most important thing is like you kind of gotta find a way to help other people along because frankly you were helped right like mm -hmm. nobody came into this field and was like i've got a brilliant idea and i'll do it all by myself like that's yeah. just not how it works ladies and gentlemen you heard it there wise words from dan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> put All that right. on my tombstone <laughs> put it on my tombstone alright so here we go the unlightning round oh boy the slowest fastest questions you will ever respond to here we go overall what is your favorite content on the internet oh my god my favorite content on the internet uh, right now uh, I will say so I love stuff that makes me laugh uh, it's very rare that I find a podcast that will make me like I don't listen to a lot of podcasts and so I feel like when I find one that really like tickles me, uh, I tend to stick with it. So there's a Australian show uh, called Dragon Friends, which is a D&D show, but it's basically a bunch of uh, comedians and media personalities from Australia <laughs> playing D&D. And when they start, they have no idea what they're doing, but it's incredibly funny. And to the point where, you know, especially recent with recent events being what they are, um, I... I found myself really in need of a good laugh. And so I turned on the latest couple episodes of that and I was just, I was driving my car and I was lucky I didn't crash in something. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. So right now that's, that's certainly near the top. I'm sure I'm forgetting other fantastic things, but it's the thing that sort of popped to mind just because it's the thing that's given me some of the most joy recently. And, and that's not nothing. <laughs> Alrighty. Your favorite personality on the internet. Oh my God, my favorite personality on the internet. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I know a lot of personalities and that's one of the things that is a bit tricky. Um, oh my God, this is... <laughs> yes. I'm feeling like... Whoo, whoo, this is why, this is why it's the lightning round. It started I'm out as the lightning round and then nobody could answer these questions as fast as I wanted them hard. to. It's yeah. hard. It is hard. I am, not, I am not prepared. Oh, there are so many good people on the internet. I would say that um my favorite personality on the internet is probably i'm stalling this is what i do when i stall is i just sort of talk and i eventually come up with something just and, pick oh, somebody God, dying um i will pick oh who's oh i would pick ryan north i don't know if you know ryan north he's a comics writer okay. he writes he wrote the uh, he did marvel's run on the unbeatable squirrel girl which is really fantastic. He's hilarious. He's great on Twitter. I really enjoy reading him. Uh, frequently, I, I see tweets of his that make me laugh a lot and I send to my wife. Um, so yeah, go check him out. Uh, I think he's, I'm going to see if I can find his Twitter address. I think he's just, at, he's at, at Ryan Q North. Um, he's very funny. He's written a bunch of other books too that are uh, very amusing as well. So recommend that. Okay. You're only allowed to listen to or watch one show. What do you watch or listen one to? show. Uh, okay, it'll probably be TV because I spend a lot of time uh, watching TV these days. Uh, and I would say if there's a show that I just like am always excited when it comes back, I think these days it's probably The Expanse. Um, mm -hmm. I love those books and the show is great. I just really enjoy it. It's, it's gotten better every season 
and I just enjoy those characters and it's it looks great uh it's just such a cool sci-fi show so I really really like it uh it's not a surprising one but I'll put that out there okay last question okay. as someone with 61,600 tweets Oh my god! And by my quick math, that's about thirteen tweets a day. Stop making since, me feel so old. <laughs> since since you joined Twitter, you talk a lot on the internet there too. Yeah, that's true. Just tell us a good Twitter story. A good Twitter story. Um. Well, oh my god, uh, a good Twitter story. Um. I've had some great interactions on Twitter over there. Okay, here's my good Twitter story. I got it. Um. So. A few, so one of my favorite movies from last year was Knives Out. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very great. good. It's fantastic. Ryan Johnson is the director. He did The Last Jedi. I've been a fan of his for years since the original movie Brick um, that he did, oh God, 15 years ago, probably. Um, anyways, when, I don't know how we got started in this, but when my, so last year my I got married and one of the things that my wife and I really wanted to do at the place that we got married is it was set on this, is this historical estate and they had this library. Um, and we had really had this idea of like, we wanted to do a great picture in the library with like a bunch of us, like looking at books or doing this stuff. We didn't get quite get that, but essentially what we thought was this group shot with my wife and I sitting on the couch and all of our wedding party behind us in the library. And it's got this very dramatic lighting to it. And it looks very, uh, um, atmospheric and so one of the things they told us uh during the picture taking was like ah look at who you think the murderer is and so it's a bunch of us like looking at different people in the wedding party but anyways what i noticed was that it was very similar in composition to some of the press shots of the ensemble cast for knives out and so i posted a tweet that was like uh, one of these is knives out and one of these is our <laughs> wedding but which is which and i think That's i tagged awesome. ryan johnson in it and he not only liked the tweet, but he responded to me and said, I think yours is better lit than ours. <laughs> and I said, I sent that to my wife immediately. Like, Ryan Johnson likes our wedding photo. <laughs> like, just the idea that he even saw our wedding photo, much less took the time to look at it and admire it, was like the most flattering thing that I think has ever happened to me on the internet. So that was, and again, that just goes back to the idea of like the fact that you can reach out to these people. It's like, yeah. when that else would i talk to ryan johnson but like it was amazing that he just took the second out to just like say i like your wedding photos essentially and i was like you made my day possibly yeah, my that's, year that's awesome that's awesome all right so dan thank you so much for joining uh the show thank you so much for telling your story um learned a lot and um just had a really great time so where can people find more about you uh, well, I, always a good place to start is dmorin.com, which is my website. It's got links to all my books, got links to all my podcasts, links to the places I write tech columns, Twitter, Instagram, stuff like that. Uh, I'm pretty much dmorin anywhere on the internet, including Twitter and Instagram. Um, so if you know you see a dmorin out there, it's probably me, not 100%, but most likely. Um, so yeah, that's a good place to start. Wonderful. Uh, for those of you who are coming back for the second episode or the third episode or the fourth episode or the fifth episode, thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate you listening. Um, you can find out more at uh, on Twitter at TTTI Podcast uh, or on the website uh, TalkingToTheInternet.com. I uh, really appreciate it if you'd share the show with your friends that you might think be interested in it or uh, even leave us a, a little bit of a review uh, somewhere uh, on the internet that helps get the word out as well. So thanks so much, everybody. Um, forward to learning with you.
Spanish washer production.